0: Welcome back to the She Does This podcast. I'm your host, Geordie Lucas. This week, I'm joined by Evie Jones, who shot to fame with her best friend, Angie, after starring on the hit show, Gogglebox, and I'm a Celebrity Get Me Out of Here. Evie's gone on to have an extremely successful media and presenting career, so it was great to talk about the journey so far and her hopes for the future. We also talk about the women's health issue Evie is so passionate about sharing and how she's overcome some personal challenges in her life. I do want to issue a content warning that we discuss some sensitive topics such as sexual abuse, eating disorders and mental health that some listeners may find triggering. Evie's such an open, honest character and I loved this chat with her. So let's get straight into the episode with Evie Jones. Welcome back to the She Does This podcast. This week, we are joined by Evie Jones, who many of us will recognize from Gogglebox. I'm a celebrity, get me out of here. And also, you took over from Piggy Box on uh, Fox FM when she had her baby. So, Evie, you've done so much. How have you been?
1: Yeah, good, good. Um, Moved to Melbourne to do the maternity gig for Fifi. I mean, knowing it wasn't a temporary thing, it was a temporary thing, but I thought this is a great reason to move to Melbourne. And then COVID happened. I'm like, you know what, this isn't such a good idea. (laughs) My whole family is like, come back. Can you come back? I'm like, no, we can't get out. They're like, you can get out. I'm like, we can't get out. So I'm stuck in Melbourne. Um, Melbourne's been a lot better to me in the past, um, but I don't think it's being very good to anyone at the moment. No, no, it has not. So, tell me.
0: Obviously, we've we've got so much to talk about, but you've got this really exciting career in media now. But let's go back to where it began for you. Life before Gogglebox. What what was life like prior to that experience?
1: Um, very boring. I mean, not boring, but very simple. Um, I was a living carer, uh, living mm. with a man with Down syndrome in his house, and yeah. um, I also was a bit of a nanny, and, uh, you know, I've been I've done a bit of theatre and all that kind of thing. So, um, always getting out there and doing anything like always loved to chat. So. Yeah. It was, I think, inevitable that I would eventually get, um, I guess, asked to do something like Gogglebox because I love a chat and and the the brief that my friend put us when he put us forward for it because he was working for Endemol at the time. Um, the brief kind of said, "Who do you know anyone that?" has a lot of opinions and isn't afraid to express them because that's the difference you've got to be able to you know say what you're thinking yeah and he's like yeah I think I do (laughs) I think I know two women (laughs) who'd be very good at it we had that me Angie and Tom um living in the house together and um we auditioned. We didn't audition. They you Skype them. They mm. rang us and said, "Can we do a kind of a Skype uh, meeting with you?" And they didn't want Tom, which we thought was really sad. But yeah. they they oh he, he's really hard to understand. He would have needed subtitles and all that kind of thing. And they just yeah. said, "You know, we really love it, but we're not that kind of show." And it was already kind of starting when Gogglebox <laughs> started. All the reviews before even people had seen it we're like oh this is the worst thing oh we were thinking this is the dumbest sounding show I've ever heard but um so they did not want to be or or you know in any way looking like we were reaching for to be anything that we weren't
0: I have to admit when I first saw the ads for Gogglebox I was like this sounds like a load of shit but it's so entertaining to watch I I love it
1: I know. It's because it's so relatable and everyone's just yeah. like that's me. There's someone in there that's you. Yeah. Out of all the houses, there's more than one. You just and you just really enjoy the relatability and the realness of it. It's like watching um Twitter come to life, yes. you know, without the the trolls. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> so how tell me about the experience of them filming in your house because I imagine That is quite surreal having a camera crew in your house filming you. Yeah. And then you've got to try and act like, well, not act, you are just being yourself, but you've got to sort of appear like you're really comfortable with the situation and it would be quite foreign.
1: Yeah. At first, it's very weird. It's invasive. It stays invasive because, you know, they're trampling in a whole heap of equipment Mm -hmm. and, um, there's a lot of leads I never knew how many leads there were in Mm. tv but um once you're used to it like we did eight seasons so you know by the end it was just like they and it's it's often the same crew so they really do become like your family members and um they just you know help yourself to it they they were always so polite but you know felt almost like they knew everything about our house they knew everything about us (laughs) um so you and they're not in the same room with you so, when you're filming, it really is a fly on the wall, like there's a mm-hmm. camera and there's a light, but that's it you get you get really used to that just being there like you would watching t v in your own lounge room so um you you do definitely start to um become so relaxed that you just say anything <laughs> <laughs> get caught off guard. I was always very worried about being. Um, you know, in reality TV especially they cast villains and they edit and they softly script. And that was my biggest fear. But um, once, I think it was about episode two or three, I realised, oh, this isn't that show. And the EP said to me, I told you that. And I was like, yeah, but, you know, all EPs say that. You know, they say that on maths, they say that on Batchy, they say that on, on everything, that, oh, yeah, We're not going to show that. Um, So I said, there's no way we're going to believe you. But, um, you know, you prove, you know, you could see it, that there is no scripting. They just Mm. leave a camera running and they get, you know, 16 hours in a week of you watching TV. So um, they really do get a choice out of 12 houses to get the best stuff.
0: Was there anything that ever went to where that you were like, oh, my God, I wish I hadn't said that? Mm.
1: Nothing that, honestly, that comes to mind that has stuck f- with me. Um, mm. I've definitely thought, oh, I hope someone doesn't take that the wrong way. Um, yeah. Or, well, not that I would say something um, at the time because even though we were on TV, we didn't understand what it was like to be on TV. Um, we we found it very easy, like anyone does, to discuss openly um, what we thought of people without ever meeting them and that has really changed for both of us like not making any assumptions now yeah. about people on TV because it's just often not at all how they are so um, I wish that's the only thing I really do um, not regret just wish I'd known more about was more aware of um, that you're talking about real people yeah and no matter who they are you know um politicians actors reality people um whatever they are real people you know mm-hmm. they've got real feelings so um i would i hate now to think that i uh, that i hurt anyone's feelings in any way except for alan jones and i'd be glad to hurt feelings.
0: <laughs> 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 i might tweet in the link of this uh, <laughs>
1: <laughs> that would be so good when I went into the jungle they were like they kept saying in the on um, on the interviews they were always like oh who don't you want to see in there who don't you want to see? and I just kept answering the same thing Alan Jones I don't want to see anyone like Alan Jones in there that will ruin everything for me <laughs>
0: Pauline Hanson <laughs> thank god
1: yeah oh god that would be awful too wouldn't it well, um, yeah all of that whole right-wing yeah crazies would have done my head in so let's talk
0: about now you leaving the show. Um, now there's obviously the, the news and media like to sensationalise things and yeah. they were saying there's this, you know, stuff that there was this controversy around you and Angie being banned from the show. Why mm-hmm. did you guys leave?
1: We simply left because we wanted to do, to do other things and yeah. we couldn't do both. Yeah. They We'd completely understood. We weren't happy. But we understood Gogglebox, they do not want people on the couches to be celebrity. And so therefore, our contracts were very, very strict. We couldn't even do a red carpet. So, um, you know, we were getting after eight seasons, that's four years, we were getting offers to do things that we had to keep turning down. And it got to the point where, you know, we said to each other, we are we going to leave and hope for the best like what if we get nothing you know and we just thought well you gotta risk it like a biscuit so we did and yet we certainly weren't banned from anything um we would have loved to have stayed on the show and still been allowed to do other things but of course that would have allowed everyone on the show to do the exact same thing and the show would change so we completely got that Um, We were just sad that we couldn't do both at the same time.
0: Was there a part of you also, um, obviously you yourself and Angie are extremely close friends, but your brand was Angie and Evie from Gogglebox. Was there a part of you that wanted to just be Evie and Angie separate entities for a little while and
1: see what you could make Uh, individually? Yeah, that's a really good question because we we clung to each other. We yeah. really did. We were Angie and Evie and we spoke for each other. Um, we spoke on behalf of each other. We were very protective. Yeah. Um, and we knew what the other one was often thinking, so we could answer in, in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when we, we quit Gogglebox and were asked to do the jungle a week after we quit, so our Gogglebox hadn't even ended. We are yeah. about to have our last episode go to air when we got the phone call. And um. We were asked together. See, I thought I was being asked because I got the phone call. So I thought it was just me. Oh, and I was with Angie at the time. And I was like, no, 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 I'm not doing it. No way. There's no way I'm going into the jungle. I said, but Angie will do it. She is keen. She'll do anything like that. And they said, no, we want you both. And I was like, oh, oh, I hadn't thought of that. I never, ever thought that that would be a thing. Yeah. So I looked at Angie and I was like, um, and she was so excited. And I was like, well, if she's goes in, I'll come in. Yeah, I'll do yep. it if we do it together. Um, and then they was like, yeah, yeah. And then they told us the money. I was like, yeah, I'll do it three <laughs> times, whatever. <laughs> I've never seen anything mo- money like that in my life. I was like, yes, please, I'll do it. I'll eat the
0: pig's intestines. Just give me the money. I
1: will eat a donkey's dick if I have to. <laughs> Just give me that money. <laughs> which i didn't have to thank god i had to eat a, an entire like an entire tarantula oh my god. but um i did not have to eat anyone's penises and i was really glad about that i have an intense fear of vomiting so there's mm. no way you'd be getting me eating anything because well, like no, everyone vomits everyone vomits yeah, no. after either during yeah. or after the f- funniest thing about the testicles and things were the f- um, footballers, the blokey blokes, all <laughs> the ones that got voted in to each or the oh really <laughs> phallic synth things. I was like, oh, this, this could not have worked out better for me.
0: So tell me about that experience because it would obviously be just testing in, Every every way mentally physically emotionally. How did you change as a person from when you went into coming out of of the jungle?
1: Well, if you if it had just been cameras on me, you would have seen the change happen. Um, if you had a keen eye, you actually would have. My friends saw it happen. I went in as a quite defiant, independent woman um, who lived on her own, lives on her own, and you know has not been married and has. Um, Being able to do everything for herself, Um, everyone on the show, because it's just they, you know, they put you into a situation that is so incredibly difficult. And that's for a reason. Um, But they tell you beforehand, like going back to what we were talking about before with producers the EP is like, oh, if you're hungry, we'll get you a protein, but oh, you know, if this, and you know, you'll be fine. No, it, oh, it looks so much worse than it is. Like, you know, you have a shower, you have everything, like the shower's cold. Um, The bed is a cot. You were not allowed to take your shoes off because there's scorpions running everywhere. And it was really uncomfortable and it was really fucking hot. And I love air conditioning. I love my comforts. And all of it. So and it's funny because the, the first lockdown, I think we can all kind of take, like, that first lockdown I was like, look, I can do this. I did five weeks in a jungle, like, you know, without my phone and without my friends and without any choices to do anything. You had to, you know, ask to go to the toilet kind of thing. Um, I can do this. Yeah. The second time, completely different. You know, it's like mm. I, I would prefer to be back in a jungle. But I held <laughs> on to my control. Like, I kept saying um i oh, thinking i was you know controlling my own narrative so that for me was relinquishing control i could not do it mm. and it took two weeks for me to realize that if if i let go this is going to be better for me like i really was chopping my nose off despite my face in the beginning um my yeah. friends and family saw it but i don't think anyone else could really see you know the telltale signs but if, if you tell me not to do something, I will do it just to, cause I'm just that kid. <laughs> I was that kid at school that was always getting in trouble, yeah. because, you know, don't do that. Well, I'm going to do it now. Um, and yeah, yeah, so that, yeah, by the time I came out, I kind of, I was, you know, obviously glad to get the hell out of there, but I couldn't believe how much I enjoyed the last week, like really enjoyed it. Um, like I was back in I I was a child again like you know when you don't know that you can make your own decisions because you're a kid you've just not allowed to make your own decisions so you give in you just live that life and you live it in an enjoyable way it became like that you were having a sleepover with your friends every night you talked crap for days like one story Mm -hmm. could go for days because there was nothing else to do and you were really appreciative when dinner was you know so it wasn't I'm hungry I can get a snack you had to wait till you know like when you're a kid mum and dad said it's dinner time so it was all of that going at at the time as a 46 year old woman back to a six-year-old that it's extremely difficult to do but once Mm. I gave in um then I was like oh I could live like this this is this is really nice it's really nice but (laughs) Give me a good bed and a pillow and I would have been better. Yeah. <laughs> and the air conditioner would have been yeah. very good. We had Jackie Lambie in there. Oh, God. Yeah. And I thought, oh, this is going to be awful. I really honestly thought it was going to be awful and we would be fighting every day. I really liked her a lot. Really beautiful, down-to-earth Australian mum is how i describe her. Like a battler, an Aussie battler fighting for her kid who has, you know, an ice addiction and trying to change um, drug reform in this country, trying to change things for the veterans. Like these things Mm. I didn't honestly know about her. And once I got to know her, she's as hard as rocks, which I just find fascinating about some people when they're just, they're so cantankerous that you're like, until you get the love from them, like, you know, those angry mums who are like, like a farmer, farmer, you know, those women, they're tough as nails, but you get a hug from them and you just go, oh, this is beautiful. She's gone like that. So, yeah, I I didn't expect to like uh, the footballers either because I'm not into sport and I thought, well, I'm not going to know if they're AFL, I'm not going to know any of them because I'm from Sydney Mm. and um, i didn't realize just how amazing um how much they know that isn't sport related you know so there's so much more to them that yeah. you know um i think playing at an elite sport like they do you it, it is your life but it's not your um it's not like a 9 to 5 job so you do would have a lot of other interests like reading and understanding of things that I never really gave them credit for. So, yeah, yeah, I think that that's really surprised me as well.
0: It's a really fascinating show because we see this different side to celebrities. And one of the things that you opened up about in the jungle was your history that you've dealt with an eating disorder for a lot of your life. Yeah. Obviously, this is being a female podcast. I think this will be something that so many listeners can relate to because, yeah. We'll have had some sort of warped relationship
1: yeah. with our bodies or food. Yeah. I think ninety-nine percent of women and unfortunately now men, we're starting to include them. You know, we're not getting better. We're yeah. actually now just making it um easier for men <laughs> to be included yeah. and, and judged, you know, on on their bodies, the way they look and things like that. Can you tell me a bit
0: about your experience with with this eating disorder and how yeah. how it's affected your life.
1: Well, for me, it's uh, I was a, a sexually abused as a child for a long time, and it was a um, it became um, food became the only thing I could control. So, very very similar story to many um, people who have eating disorders comes from a trauma, um, and that. Uh, And the weight gain just came with um, binge eating. So that became disordered eating. Um, That just became part of my life. Um, And the funny thing is that the the you know I've done so much therapy about it now and so much education about this kind of trauma um, and about how just how an eating disorder is so perfectly made for especially sexual um, abuse because when you start eating your body changes and when your body changes often your perpetrator doesn't want you know isn't um, you're not the child that you once were so it's funny that it it works in this subliminal way um so for me I was becoming less of an attraction for my abuser um, while I was becoming less of an attraction for the world to you know look at um oh you you're what are you doing to yourself like that that dichotomy of having no no Help from one side, the whole of society saying um, you're a really bad person because of what you're doing to your body and how you're making yourself look and you're not being accepted. We can't accept you like this. We just simply can't. So it makes you eat more. It's just this vicious cycle and you've got this other side of, you know, this complete um, abuse happening that you can't talk about because most of the time women are not believed so, and and you're told that you know it's your shame. So there's all of these things. you know, this yeah. is now something that I've had decades of therapy for, and decades of education and decades of conversations with um, trauma victims, um, not just mm. sexual, anything like domestic violence, um, all of the kind of things that drive you to any kind of obsessive um, compulsive um, behaviours that um, you're trying to deal with that at the same time. And that's, I think, for me when I was in the jungle and I saw yeah. scales, they were so much more triggering than I think they are so triggering for so many people. But for me it was a personal, oh, this is taking me to something that I've worked really, yeah. really, really hard to um, be able to deal with and choose not to be anywhere near this kind of mm-hmm. a, a world, um, which is a world you're living in constantly and so you're battling it all the time. So when I saw those scales, I was like, oh, this is, this is not for me um, and I'm going to say something because, you know, you're, the older you get, the more you get mm-hmm. the voices, the more bigger your voice gets and you're like, I don't give a fuck what anyone thinks anymore. And even if I just help one person by saying this, yeah. I don't care. Like I had the entire crew while I was saying, um, "I don't want to do this. I don't want to be. I want to. I don't want to weigh myself. I don't want to be celebrated for any weight loss that I'm doing in here because I'm starving." Yeah. Um. I had like crew crying. Like it was a powerful, powerful moment. It to watch. It was for me. It's like it was. I had like a, the doctor, the resident doctor, come up to me. Privately afterwards, and say, I would just like to say thank you for that, because he said, just I come from a family of women like you, and he said, just I know how proud they would be if they were here right now, and that that would have done enough for me, um, you know. But the fact that it's had such a lovely um, roll-on effect and given me the opportunity to be able to talk to people like you and to talk to other women and men, of course, other men. men. But unfortunately, I, I see so much of this happening with women and still being um, happening to women. And even without any trauma, just the world that we live in of um, you must look a certain way. And the fat shaming that goes on. Oh, like, it's interesting watching the fat shaming during COVID, like people making jokes about COVID kilos and all of this kind of thing. Like, you should be so ashamed of yourself. You, you, you're the butt of a joke if you've gained any weight during COVID. Um, yeah. it's, it's still, you know, we have at, actual professional, educated adults. Who work in an industry where they still, where they're supposed to know better, and they still will judge you on your health because of the the fat on your body. And it, you know, we, we're fighting so hard for all these just anti discrimination things, but fat shaming seems to be okay. It really is your fault for being fat, and you should be really ashamed of it. And that, unfortunately, even the most educated of people still have that mindset. And I would love to see it, you know, really blown apart.
0: I love that you're so outspoken about all these, you know, issues. Where does that part of you come from? Have you always had that sort of fighting
1: spirit? Yeah, I think so. I think like my parents would say, you know, as a child, I was I thought I was 40 as a four year old. I would go and have conversations with adults and they would be like, you mm. know, my mum was very used to it. But I was a very earnest child with very large spirit, like very wordy, very, you know, I wanted to get into the crux of things with people. I wanted to talk, you know, to people. Um, I always found adult um, conversations really stimulating. So um, I think that's where, yeah, I, I think there must be a very old soul in me that comes from um, a long time ago because, yeah, I, I, I've i always had that, speak, let's come on, let's speak. But. My God, as a woman, you know, constantly being told to shut up—like, just—it's oh, yeah. unbelievable how many times I've been told to be quiet, and it's and, painful. Isn't it? Yeah, and it's constant. Every every woman knows exactly what I'm talking about, um, and, what, and it's funny because you know we talk to each other about it a lot. But I have male friends that I'll um, mention it to, and they'll be like, oh, "It's not that bad." And I'll just say to them, just, just start noticing it now because once you start seeing yeah. it, you can't stop. You can't unsee it. You'll start seeing it everywhere. And they come back to me and go, God, there really is everywhere. <laughs> like, yeah, it's daily. So, yeah, um, I think it's always been there. It's, it's As much as it's tried to be whacked out of me. Mm-mm.
0: Yeah, I was, I was going to say, I mean, the things that you've gone through in your life, it could very easily quietened you. I think a lot of people could potentially go insular. Yeah.
1: Oh, and it, it has at times, absolutely, definitely. But that that is unsustainable. I think if it's if you know the fight is in you, it, it's it's in you, and it, it comes out. You know, you you your nature. It's I guess it's your nature. So,
0: yeah.
1: you know, I've tried to be very quiet at times and very um, douse myself and listen to, you know, things, but um, it's not sustainable. It's not inspiring and it's not a good way to live. So, you know, you get sick, I think, when you're not living your truth, you're not speaking your truth. Mm -hmm. So your body soon lets you know something's (laughs) wrong.
0: (laughs) So we're we're talking this week, it's it's Women's Health Week, and you have uh, opened up about your experience with extreme fatigue and in particular with Mm. uh, perimenopause. Can you explain a little bit, I mean, because we all hear about menopause as women, but what is yeah. perimenopause?
1: Yeah, uh, well, it's funny. I had, had obviously heard about menopause yeah. and really didn't know much about menopause. So perimenopause, I, it was a complete, what? Mm. What's, why didn't even you know what that meant? Um, but the, I got it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I've still got it. Um, it's pre-menopause so it's when you know um, your hormones are beginning to change and go into um, menopause and that can take up to five years so I don't know how long my perimenopause is going to last but for me um perimenopause became an extremely um, heavy period like really like I'd had the mo- I was a really lucky woman like just went through life with really really normal short easy periods mm. painless um perimenopause for me i became like a um oh god like a cut like a halal lamb <laughs> it <was> like, <laughs> it's the only way i could describe it you know i actually said it to my gp and he went i can, i can completely see exactly what you like yeah that's really well yeah yeah and every time i see my gp now he goes i remember you <laughs> <laughs> yeah, from la your description of your period <laughs> but yeah and and it was like eight over a week long like it's it's and I was losing so much blood that I had no idea how much it was affecting my iron levels. like no idea. I was became a walking zombie, like and I'm not talking um tired, like slug fatigued, like just like could not seem to move myself around. It was like, this is really weird thought putting up with it putting up with it trying more caffeine get an energy drink you know just up your water take get some vitamins um no idea and it turned out that you know i was missing out on work started like that's when it really started to affect me that i was like oh this isn't good like i can't string sentences together because you got this brain fog going on um and it was girlfriends of course yeah fellow females who said Mm. have you ever thought you might have a bit of low iron and I was like I've never had low iron before so I went and had a blood test and my iron was nine it was that low yeah it was so incredibly low I'd been losing so much blood like over you know the six month period of me just going oh well this is just my new normal and that's the thing, that's why I want to talk about iron deficiency so much, is because you don't know what it that it's there. And a lot of women would just will handle it. They're just and especially mums. I don't have children, but I've got a lot of friends who do and they just push on through like zombies. And um, and that's why I for me for um women's health week, I really want to get other women to to look at the options of low of having iron deficiency because I, a lot of women w- would say to me oh, i've tried supplements and just gives me constipation or you know and i was and i just thought oh well that's it that's the that's there's nothing you can do about it talk to your gp or your pharmacist all of a sudden you'd Being told of all these different options that they don't tell you about, not being spoken about. I went in and had an iron infusion; was the best thing I ever had. Oh my god! I had one of those
0: when I was pregnant, and it was like I was a completely different person. And this, as women, I feel like we just, you know, we push things to the side because we're nurturers and we look about, look after everybody else. And this is even, as you said not even women who are mothers we all do it we all put everyone before ourselves and it's not often until we get treated for something that we're like
1: oh shit I actually really did feel awful yes yeah and you were pushing through Uh, yeah there's something like I swear to god if men had low iron like we did there'd be the national inquiry about it (laughs) you know they get the flu oh they don't even get the flu they get a cold and they have man flu you know all of a sudden the whole world's fallen down like we can break limbs and we'll still be going to work and getting the kids out of bed every day it's unbelievable um I think you remember that um that woman uh, Louise L Hayes do you remember her book and it was like uh she used to do all the cards and everything like the healing cards and all of those kind of things she has this book i don't know where it is but i have it somewhere and it's all about if if there's something wrong with you how your body presents you know so like if you have a sore throat it will tell you oh you need to speak your truth you're not telling people something if you have a sore back it's because you feel um, unsupported in life or you know like you're feeling like your your family and friends are not supporting you um I bet I'm going to try to find that because I reckon when if you look up low iron I bet it's going to say you're putting everyone before you that will be the symptom like that will be what you're doing and why you've got low iron because your body will always tell you what's wrong with you but it's the the last It's kind of they say it's the last thing that, you know, your brain's telling you, your mind's telling you, and then your body finally says, okay, I'm going to make you lie down. (laughs) I'm going to literally get you to to stop moving and and make you in so much pain or whatever it is because you're not listening to me.
0: (laughs) So you had infusions and now do you just wait till menopause? It's
1: monitoring, it's getting the blood tests, watching what the levels are doing. Um getting on to trying different supplements, like having you know, there are so many different types um that finding the right one, it's just that whole one size fits all doesn't. Yeah. When yeah. I did the iron infusion, I Instagrammed while I was doing it because you know, <laughs> what else? I just you want know, to show people with a freaking needle <laughs> hanging out of your arm. It's like this this will show who who my real followers are. Um the response I got from that—that's actually mm. what has made me go, oh, we—I'm not the only one who had no idea about this. Like, where there's a shitload of us mm. who women were just saying, "Oh my god, I think that's yeah. what I need. I th- I'm, I'm going to go and get my my bloods done." It's like, yeah, let's all encourage each other. So, yeah, that's that's what I'm all about.
0: It's a very important week. I feel like we need to all take better care of ourselves you know not just physically mentally emotionally and I think this year has really shone a light on that as well it's exposed a lot for me personally what I need to do and
1: yes and go easy on yourself as well like you know be kind to yourself it's funny how kind we are to each other um or to our loved ones that you would never be like that to yourself. How hard you can be on yourself! I remember in um, one of the Sex in the City episodes, <laughs> I think. Oh, Miranda is having a go at herself, and Carrie says, "Hey, it's my friend you're talking about." You <laughs> and I was like, oh, my God! There's so much in that. Yeah. There's such a different friend from herself, I was like, "Yeah, isn't that funny?" We'd never think about our friends like that, the right. way they yeah. I mean, and that goes back to everything, weight, you know, looks, mm. all of it, health. We just, we can be so cruel to ourselves.
0: I completely agree. So you've had this amazing career that was spurred on by Gogglebox. What are your hopes for the future career-wise?
1: Well, I'd really like to do some comedy. I did some comedy acting last year and I was supposed to be doing some this year and it's been put, off, um, a, a comedy show on Channel 7. I'd really like to do that kind of thing. Um, but I've still been doing Studio 10 every couple of weeks, which is hilarious because I'm doing it like this. And, um, you know, I'm like, you know, because they're all split screens now. So it's like, well, this is easy. So it's like business up the top and my pyjamas are still <laughs> Um, I think everyone's just become really creative as far as work goes for this year, if you can still work. I've got my own podcast, which I didn't know was going to happen during COVID, but it's turned out to be, you know, a godsend for me because it's about um, women in history and every week I have to come up with a different chick from history that I have to research. So now I'm being really creative, um, which is really keeping you know, my brain going, thank God, through through all of this. When you're not working, it's good to just, you know, not be streaming Netflix all the time and have something to get up for every day. It's amazing how creative you can become when you, you know, have everything removed in that, in that sense. The stimulus is, is removed. So you have to, you know, you've got four walls. You're like, what, what am I going to do? You know, you've got to come up with something. I've started reading again. <laughs> I never thought that would happen. Like I I became a bad reader because I, when I started wearing glasses, um, I couldn't, I was reading in bed, so I didn't want to wear my glasses and, like, yeah. and then I like, couldn't read my books and I was just like slowly, slowly just stop reading. And then I got really used yeah. to not reading um, and became a real TV watcher, social media um, ad- addict. And this mm. has brought books back. I'm like, oh my God, this is exciting! Like, oh and by now, Kindles are out, so you can have the font as big as you need you <laughs> without your glasses on. I was like, this is a win win for me. Um, I honestly don't know what my future holds as far as um entertainment goes because this was never um. You know, that goal for me. So I don't, I just keep saying yes to whatever comes my way. I'm extremely fortunate that um, I'm resonating with a lot of women, a lot of women who really I have a really good chat with, and they have a good chat with me, and they seem to like what I do. Um, and that's good enough for me. So, more of that. I'm happy with that.
0: Sounds pretty great. Well, Evie, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today and having a really great chat. Here's to um, a good rest of 2020 and hopefully a better
1: 2021. Yeah, thank you so much for having me on. It was really lovely to chat with you. Thank
0: you so much for listening to today's episode. I'll be back next week with another episode of the She Does This podcast. In the meantime, you can follow us on Instagram and Facebook. Just search She Does This. Give us a follow and keep up to date with the latest from the site. Have a wonderful week.